Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. For this evening, again, we're in Philippians 4, chapter, or Philippians 4, verse 8. <clears throat> we're going to finish this series on meditation, Christian meditation. And our verse that has been our anchor through this series is Philippians 4.8. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word again that you would feed us, Lord, that you would even produce a hunger in us, that we would long for your word, for your word preached, for you to nourish us by your spirit. And Father, we pray that these words would lead to uh, faith and would lead to uh, lasting habits in our lives. And we pray that we would increase in, in the blessings of meditating on you and your glory, the glory of your Son, the glory of the Spirit. So Father, bless us richly this evening, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. So here's what we've covered in the last two previous Sunday evening sermons. Two months ago, we, uh, we thought about these questions, why Christians don't spend time in meditation. Right? We think it's not Christian. Two, we're too busy. Three, our technology is dictating to us some many other things to think about. Uh, four, our faith is lukewarm. Five, we are self-centered even when it comes to our faith. John Owen said, do we love God because we see a glory, a beauty, a loveliness in the glorious attributes of his nature? Have we bothered to find out what those attributes are? Do we always rejoice when we remember that he is holy? Is it our great joy and satisfaction that God is what he is? Do we love Him for the glorious revelation He has made of Himself and all His holy excellencies in Christ? Do we love Him because He communicates Himself to us by Christ? If we do love God for the above reasons, then our love has come from a renewed heart. But if we say we love God but do not know why, or because we feel it is the right thing to say, or because we think it is wicked not to love God, then we have no evidence that our hearts have been renewed by grace. A renewed heart loves spiritual things because God is in them. Right? It, it loves God for himself and not for what he does for us. That's the key there. It loves him because he is lovely, not because he gives lovely gifts. Primarily, first of all, that love must be because he's lovely. And then last month, we, we turned to this question, why should Christians spend time meditating on spiritual realities? 
These were my answers. One, we are commanded by God to do it. That's always the, the first answer. Two, Christians delight to think about God and His glory. Three, it makes us ready to take up our crosses. Four, it draws our hearts away from the love of the world. Five, seeking God, even in meditation, will be rewarded. God rewards those who seek Him. And then six, it will cause us to persevere in persecution. Now today, I want to focus on the how and what questions concerning Christian meditation. What? What are we to set our minds on specifically? And then how? How do we set our minds on those things that we're supposed to set them on? So here's our running definition of Christian meditation. Christian meditation is directing our minds, directing our thoughts to dwell on spiritual realities for the purpose of rousing our hearts and souls to feel the goodness or badness of those realities, which will then lead our hearts to experience a sense of love, delight, and humility. Love, delight, and humility. So the first question, what are we to meditate on? And that's why we've been using Philippians 4.8, sort of the, 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 uh, the center of these sermons. We are, to dwell on, we are to dwell on, ponder, meditate on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise. Those are the things we are to dwell on. Right? Dwell on these. Put your mind on these things. Think about these things. Mull those things over. Let your mind settle and rest while thinking about those things and in thinking about those things. But this takes a bit of work, doesn't it? it takes a bit of work. What do you, what, it, it's easier for our minds to be set on other things. It's easy for us to set our minds on things that are right before us, right? The, the tyranny of the urgent, the things that we've, we've got going right before us, that's what we put our minds on. Um, many people think the NFL is, is right, pure, lovely, and honorable, right? And to a certain degree, that's probably true, except for it being lovely and, and pure and, and of good repute and honorable. <laughs> no, but in, in every sport there are virtues, in other words. That's what I'm saying. Sports have virtues about them. Perseverance, stamina, right? Strength, power, simulated warfare. We have victors and losers and those things um, teach us things. And one of the reasons that sports intrigue us is because we see those virtues on display often in, in amazing ways that we have a hard time relating to. Because somebody has talent and skill that we lack. But the point of this verse is not so that you can meditate on football, college or professional, <laughs> all right? And the virtues of competition. That may be what gets your mind to think about strength, but will your mind take that back to the source of all strength, God Himself? Right? There, there will be many things in this world, many circumstances in this world that will cause our minds to dwell on good, true, right, and lovely virtues. To look upon the mountains right, will cause or should cause your mind to contemplate both the world's immensity and your littleness. 
But the goal of Christian meditation is to take it all the way back to God then. Right? It is to take the thoughts to God, the Almighty One. Remember, God's creation testifies about Him and about His glory. Right? So Christians look upon the mountains and they hear a sermon. They hear the sermon that is written in Psalm 19. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. That's why we travel around the world to look at the height of mountains, right? Because it shows us God's, the work of God's hands. We hear that sermon when we look at his creation, but what about the unbeliever? They actually hear the same sermon, right? They hear the same sermon. And they do everything they can to then stop thinking about it. They suppress that truth. In unrighteousness. They will not take their, their meditations all the way back to God. They'll look on the mountain, they'll hear the sermon, and they will stop their ears. But it's our cue as believers then to take that sermon and then to, to chew on it, to believe it, to meditate on it, to take our thoughts to God and to lift them off the world, off of the mountain, onto the Maker. Right? But the unbeliever will not take their meditations all the way to God, the God they know is there. Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile, futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Right? So they hear the same sermon, but they stop their thoughts. They suppress their thoughts. When Christians look upon that mountain, they begin thinking about the way the mountain came into existence. A word spoken by God. And then we smile and we whisper, praise Him, praise God. He made these things. We do not bow down and worship the mountain. Right? That would be one way to pre- that, that people suppress the knowledge of God in the sermon that's preached by His creation. They then bow down and start worshiping the creation, which is not what God intends. God intends for us to hear that sermon and then praise Him. And so believers, through our contemplations and meditations and Scripture-directed speculations, are led to worship the God of creation. That focus is the goal of all our Scripture-ordered meditations. That's the goal, to think upon the Creator, to go back to God, to contemplate the One who is all true, all honorable, all right, all pure, all lovely, all reputable, all excellent, and all worthy of praise. The goal, brothers and sisters, is to set our minds on heavenly things in God Himself that our hearts may be filled with unspeakable joy that we feel as if we are in heaven with the martyrs and the angels and the saints, as if we're you know, in that scene along with them. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Right? When we meditate, we, we are there with those martyrs and angels, adding our all glory and praise and honor to God. And through our meditations, we join this scene by being lifted up into the heavenlies by faith, Revelation 7. And after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom. See, they're singing the praises of God's attributes and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So right now, where are your minds? As I read that passage, where were your minds? Were your minds focused on the words that were being preached? Were you, or were they elsewhere? Right? Were you distracted by your children doing something this or that? When you hear those scriptures, are you there? Are you by faith apprehending the very extent of the love and the protection and the, the glory of God? Right? Partially for sure, but... but Go on, excel still more. Right? As your meditations in our corporate worship will only increase if you are practicing meditation, fixing your mind on things above during the times that we aren't in corporate worship. Right? Excel still more. Unbelievers hear may have already dismissed what I read as just wishful thinking and not reality. Um, they've quickly suppressed the truth and proclaimed their delusion omnipotence, right? Dismissing what was just read from God's Word and replacing them with just weak fantasies. Here are some of the spiritual realities upon which you should regularly be meditating. If you, if you find yourself not doing so, you should contemplate the... You should examine yourself. 
right? What does Paul say at the end of his letters to the Corinthians? Examine yourselves to see if you, if you know Christ, right? The Spirit's work is to reveal these glories to the children of God. If they are absent, question whether the Spirit is present. Or perhaps your love for the world is grieving the Spirit, is, is choking out the Spirit. But here are contemplations you should give yourself to. One, heaven. Heaven should be a constant meditation. Uh, as we've just done, those passages from the book of Revelation. Read Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Heaven, a World of Love, and let it, let it lead you through the Scriptures and the truths of the Scriptures. Right? Con- consider life in the very presence of God. Consider what it will be like to return to, uh, to, return to the presence of God and He's... He's completely benevolent as he was with Adam and Eve prior to the fall in the Garden of Eden. You should contemplate hell, conversely. We should contemplate hell. When we suffer pain, we should contemplate hell, which is unending pain and punishment. Um, We are to dwell on the uncomfortable and the evil, not so that we might revel in them as pagans do. Solomon contemplated the the positive and the negative, right? Remember, he set his mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also, he says, is striving after wind. But we do not meditate on evil so that we might revel in it, right? We meditate on evil hell so that we may abhor it, right? So that we might abhor evil and cling to what is good. Remember what Romans 1 says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all, and then here comes that long list of evil, Unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. long list of evil should lead to, to meditation, should lead to self-examination, should lead to you contemplating God being the opposite of all of those things. No evil, no shifting shadow, no, no um, wickedness in the Lord, only holiness. We contemplate the unending pains of hell so that we may hate what God hates, which is sin. So that we may understand and love the fact that, God, that Jesus has become our hiding place. So that we might understand the agony endured by Jesus when He experienced hell on the cross. right, Being forsaken by His Father. Becoming the curse. Becoming sin. Becoming, uh, bearing the, the un, unmitigated wrath of God. And so we, as we contemplate hell, we contemplate our Savior and His work. And all of it should lead 
to the fear of Almighty God who has the power to cast both soul and body into hell. We must contemplate hell so that we might understand justice. God is just and the justifier. We contemplate hell so that we might also understand mercy. And we, we contemplate hell so that we might appreciate the comfort we have now and if we are in Christ, the comfort that we'll, we will have eternally. We contemplate hell so that we might be filled with thanksgiving to God. When we read a passage like this, Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. It helps to remember what lies outside the path of life. Right? That hell is full of wrath and pain forever. Scripture puts heaven and hell right next to each other, right at the ends for our contemplation. And he who sits on the throne behold, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Right there, right next to one another, the comfort of God in his presence and those that have not come to him burning in a lake of fire. Do we dwell on these things and let them settle into our contemplation of the very character of God? God God has made a heaven and hell, and that tells us something about His perfect character, both heaven and hell. Do we feel in our bones a fear of hell and a longing of heaven? Why not? Why, Why don't we do that? Because we have not meditated on these things. We have not let them sink in. We have not obeyed scripture and letting our minds dwell on these things we have though contemplated the world's goods on offer through Netflix quite a bit I'm just going to keep saying things like that because it convicts me right we've spent a lot of time meditating on the world's worldview and the world's goods and the world's messages and the world's wants and desires, and very little meditating on the Word of God, which is infallible. We should also meditate on righteousness and unrighteousness, holiness and sin. God is holy, holy, holy. And the Scripture says, But like the Holy One who called you, you be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And Scripture says the following, which I take to be a statement about His holiness, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Um. Here's a passage from Ezekiel. Listen to it and put your mind on it. This is God's expression toward idols. 
you need to you need to contemplate this. You need to feel this in your bones, right? Ezekiel 14. Then some elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitude of his idols in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the immigrants who stay in Israel who separates himself from me sets up his idols in his heart, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity, and then comes to the prophet to inquire of me for himself, I, the Lord, will be brought to answer him in my own person. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from among my people, so you will know that I am the Lord." But if the prophet is prevailed upon to speak a word, it is I, the Lord, who have prevailed upon that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. They will bear the punishment of their iniquity, as the iniquity of the inquirer is, so the iniquity of the prophet will be. In order that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me and no longer defile themselves with all their transgressions, thus they will be my people and I shall be their God. Right? And on it goes to talk about the nation. Right? And so you go to a passage like that and you think about they're putting their idols right before their eyes. The idols of their iniquity right before their eyes. If you can't make in an instant some application to your own situation, you don't have a pulse. Right? Think of that. Think of that. And then think on the fact that this this causes God to say that He is angry with the people. And then think on Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Have you ever just stopped and thought about that? The wages of sin is death. Have you sinned? We've all sinned. Fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Right? But the gift of God righteousness in Christ, right? But stop and think about the wages of sin is death. All of us have earned death. All of us have earned the death sentence. But for God, we would die. We should contemplate God's works of providence in the world, right? Owen says this, do not listen to any who only give natural explanations of disasters. Calamities and disasters are plain declarations of God's displeasure and indignation against the sins of men. Paul tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's John Owen in Spiritual Mindedness. Did you hear what he said? Right? He said when a tornado cuts through four states and kills 100 people, don't you dare give it a natural explanation. The explanation for that is God is angry. And he's angry against sin. Right? And his judgment 
is waiting to break out. Right? That's what he's saying. But if you say that today, people think you're not being pleasant. And people tell you that that is, that is a wrong judgment. Right? He says, no, no, I mean, look at the Scriptures. All death is the judgment of God. Right? Sometimes God's anger breaks out. So come to Christ. Flee to Christ. Hide yourself in Christ. So contemplate the fact that God is active in this world. He is active through these providential, providential um, acts. Contemplate the fact that God is sovereign in this world. Contemplate the fact that Scripture says that it is God who brings calamities. Contemplate the fact that it is God's kindness that these calamities come in order to bring us to repentance. Right? Contemplate, do, do not allow yourself to divorce God's providence from your, your interpretation of what happens in the world. Don't do it. Everything should cause you to think about God and to stop and pause and pray to Him. We should think about many other spiritual realities. The cross, the Holy Spirit, the incarnation, on and on and on the list goes of things that we could contemplate. Open your Bible, read a verse. You'll have many things in that one verse to contemplate. <clears throat> now here, to wrap this up, the, that was a short list of things. We could go on and on. But here's, here's how the how. Make time for it. I mean, I could just stop there, right? Make time for it. You have to make time for it. I know you have children and they're young and they require a lot of attention. I know you have teenagers and they have, you have to drive them all over creation. I know you have work. I know you have aches and pains. I know, I know all these things because I do too, right? And, and we're all in this same boat of busyness. But God demands your attention. God says, stop, be still, and know that I am God. God demands your attention. And the, the fact that I phrase it, make time for it, is pathetic. This should be the delights of our heart. This should be, this sh when, when our, even our children, our precious children, interrupt, it should be an interruption from our contemplations of God. And, and think about this, if you make time to meditate, to pray, to read scriptures, never ever in my Christian 30 years have I had sweet meditations in the first five or ten minutes of trying. Never ever. I've got to get past the first five or ten minutes where I'm grappling with myself and telling my mind, no, you may not think about that. No, you may not look ahead. No, you may not go to the things you want to do. And it's like a 10, 15 minute fight with just myself and then maybe I get to meditation. And so if you think you can just give five, 10 minutes to meditating on God during the day, even though that would be a massive increase for many of us, even five or 10 minutes. But, but if you think you can just give five or 10 minutes, you're you're not dealing with yourself or you're way more sanctified than I am. <clears throat>
right? But I know our minds are cluttered. Our minds are cluttered, and it, it is very, it is part of our sin that we cannot focus on God. And so you have to make time for it, and you have to fight through the first five or ten minutes. And then maybe God, by His Spirit, will, will allow you to set your mind on things above and not the things of the world. Always set about your contemplation. This is the second one I have here on the how. Always set about your contemplations, remembering that your heart is deceptive and God's word is always true. Your meditations are not things that arise out of your heart. Your meditations should derive from the word of God because your heart will deceive you, but the word of God will never deceive you. It will never deceive you. Meditation is not a time for you to run wild in your imagination. That is not at all what I'm talking about. It is a time to think on what God has written. It's not like uh, going through a wormhole in your imagination and seeing where it goes. It's time actually to take thoughts captive by the Word of God. And that's why you need the Word of God as you meditate. Don't meditate without the Word of God guiding you. Three, get rid of things that distract you from contemplating God and His glory. Get rid of them. Uh, it, it'll be different for me than it is for you. You've got things that distract you that wouldn't distract me. I've got things that distract me that wouldn't distract you. For me, it is my phone and my computer. I can't contemplate if those things are near me. I can't be interrupted like that. I can't be, you know all the push notifications that tell me the stupid inane things that somehow I've got notifications set for. Um, for you, it might be your spouse. You have to get away from your spouse. You have to get away from your children, right? You have to get away from your television. You have to get away from your own brain somehow. Um, so, sacrifice the... The bad for the good and the good for the better. Right? Sacrifice the bad for the good. Get rid of the bad things. That's clear. That distract you from contemplating God. And then put the good even in the proper place so that you can go to the better, which is to give yourself to Almighty God. If you are married with children, make sure you make it possible for your spouse to have this time. Husbands, make sure that your wife has time where she does not have to be dealing with the, the insane munchkins that God has gifted her with. Right? Get, let, but not so that she can, you know, have me time. Right? It is for her to set her mind on things above, right? So that she can be spiritually nourished in the Word of God. So it's, and, and wives, make this possible for your husbands. Make it possible. If you see that he is gone, if you see that your husband is not reading the Word of God, is not praying, is not leading in family devotions, and is working 12 to 14 hours a day, you should go to him and you should say, this is sin, you need to go read your Bible and contemplate the Lord and then come feed us by your contemplations. That would be being a good wife to a husband. Uh, fifth, think about your circumstances. Are you fearful about finances? What truth about God should you meditate on? 
Examine your own heart. What are the things you're struggling with? Where do your anxieties lay? Well, then go find what God's Word says on it and then start meditating on it so that you might believe it. God owns the, you know, if it's, if it's finances, if you're fearful about the future, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That might be a good contemplation just to think about that. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do I really believe that? Do, do I really believe that God would never leave me or forsake me? Is that promise mine, personally? Do some examination of yourself, then put your mind on the character of God that makes you see your anxieties and desires and impulses for what they really are. Six, don't consider um, this a spiritual option that you can give to yourself. Do it as a spiritual sacrifice of worship. You will be helped. Will you... um, Give me two half-hour chunks this week where you meditate on God. Two half hours. Give me that. Will you give me that this week? Two half hours where you get by yourself with your Bible and you read it and then think about it and then pray. Do that. You will be helped, right? Um, pick a psalm and set your mind on that. Do something. Do something like that. But give, don't give yourself an option. Everything else in your life is optional, but praising God and honoring Him in your thoughts is not optional. You must do it. He made you for that purpose. That's your calling. And so give me two half-hour chunks this week. And maybe for the holy three. Use Bible searches, number seven. Do you, have, do you have regularly go to the Bible searches online? They're very helpful. Drop in a word like holy and let it pull up all these verses and you'll just get assaulted by the holiness of God. You'll get assaulted by it. You'll get assaulted by calls for holiness and it, it'll be wonderful, right? Um, whatever anxieties you may have, drop a word in that... that um, what, what you're struggling with. Print them off, sit in a chair, think about them. That's all you have to do. Read them and think about them. You might be helped. You might be. I don't know, it's a hunch. Uh, eight, get out of your houses and drive up to the mountains for the purpose of coaxing your flesh to think about God. Get out of the house. Get out in nature. Get some hiking boots. Walk. Contemplate God. There's a sermon being said out there. You should listen to it. Right? Get out of your houses. Um, go for walks in your neighborhood and leave your phone at home. Walk without your phone, without Spotify, without Netflix. Right? Just go for a walk. The first ten times you do it, your thoughts will not even go to God. You'll be struggling with your flesh. And then maybe the 11th time, you'll give five minutes in that half-hour walk to God. And then, and then maybe, maybe 15 in the subsequent times. 10, anticipate that God will bless you if you give yourself to Him in this way. Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. 11, read Puritans. They were physicians of the soul. Especially read Thomas Watson. 
Uh, come to me for recommendations, but don't just blaze through them. Read a paragraph and then think. Because they're dense, right? But read a paragraph and think about it. Twelve, take an attribute of God a day and contemplate it and praise it. His infinity, his wisdom, right? His omnipresence, his wrath, right? Start your prayers to him by focusing on that, that glory of his, Right, take an attribute of God each day. And then 13, adore Jesus. Love Jesus. Adore your Savior. He saved you from your sins. Just love Him. Pour yourself out to Him. Adore your Savior. Samuel Rutherford wrote this. Oh, if I could invite and persuade thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand of Adam's son to flock to my Lord, to flock about my Lord Jesus, and to come and take their fill of love. O pit for evermore that there should be, or pity for evermore that there should be such an one as Christ Jesus, so boundless, so bottomless, so incomparable in infinite excellency and sweetness, and so few to take him. Oh, oh, you poor, dry, and dead souls, why will you not come hither with your empty souls to this huge and fair and deep and sweet well of life and fill all your empty vessels? Oh, that Christ should be so large in sweetness and worth, and we so narrow, so pinched, so ebb, and so void of all happiness, and yet men will not take him. They lose their love miserably who will not bestow it upon this lovely one. Oh, that there is so much spoken and so much written and so much thought of creature vanity and so little spoken, so little written and so little thought of my great and incomprehensible and never enough wondered at Lord Jesus. I feel that, right? You feel that. You feel how, how superficial your thoughts have been of him and yet he is glorious and incomprehensible and and, and a, a Savior who knows you personally died with you in mind upon the cross. And so just savor that sweetness. Just love Him and give Him thanks for what He's done. So I hope that's some help. I hope it prods you into some action this week, some meditation, some contemplation, some Scripture-guided meditation on Him. Don't, don't forsake the Lord. Don't neglect the Lord. You just can't make it. You can't make it through this gloom without meditating on the glories of the Word of God. So let's pray and ask Him to help us. Father, we pray that You would reveal Yourself to us. And we know that You have in Your Word. So Father, forgive us for taking it up so very seldom. Forgive us for when we do take it up, just blazing through it and not stopping to contemplate what is written. And so, Father, I pray that in the coming weeks that you would give us time to pause, to be still, and our minds would not be pulled in a thousand directions, but our minds would be lifted up into the heavenlies and our soul thought would be about, about you about your holiness, about your mercy and kindness in Christ, about your eternal goodness.
And so, Father, help us to do this. Again, I ask that you would forgive us for our distractedness. I pray that no matter how old we are, young, old, that we would give time to the contemplation of you and be blessed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.